G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I had said to Roger when we started getting romantic, if you like, I said, look, Roger, for some reason, whenever I liked a boy and, you know, had a date with him, the minute he wants to hold my hand or anything, I just freeze up and I don't know why that is. And that's when Roger said, I promise you I will not kiss you until we are sure that we both love each other. And that took 18 months. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Jeanette was born in Melbourne and was a primary school teacher. And Roger was born in Sri Lanka and was also a teacher, but has a PhD in organic chemistry. Jeanette likes writing and publishing poetry, while Roger is into science. So, how did the two of them meet and somehow bridge their personality differences? We'll find out as they share their stories today. Roger and Jeanette Fernando are chatting with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. And parents, we just want to let you know that due to the adult themes that will be discussed, today's program is not recommended for young children. Welcome to the program, Roger Fernando and Jeanette Fernando. Thank you. Glad to have you with us. And so we're going to get to kind of your personality differences, the poetry-loving primary school teacher and then the science teacher of the high school students. So that's kind of the difference, but we'll find out how you kind of have bridged that gap over the years. But first, I want to just say, as a parent, thank you so much. Both of you taught my children. Is that right? Correct. So uh, Johnny and Wanda were students at Mount Evelyn Christian School and also went on the trip to Uindamu Aboriginal Settlement, north of Alice Springs. So that that was a major life-changing event for them. And, of course, many students over the years have gone on that trip. So that's Mm -hmm. something hopefully we'll talk about in a bit. But first, let's go back to both of your childhood. We'll start with you, Jeanette. You were born in Melbourne. Tell us a little bit about home life growing up. Yes, well, my parents migrated from Holland. And actually, I couldn't even speak English when I went to school. I could only speak Dutch and then obviously picked up English along the way. But we had a very uh, happy childhood and my parents were members of the Reformed Church, which they helped to start up in Melbourne in Mm -hmm. Australia. And I did have, apart from one incident, I would say I had a happy childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, The incident was that I was molested when I was four year old by a man who lived next door to the school. I couldn't bring myself to tell my parents for six years and every night I would pray and ask God to forgive me. And then finally one day I think my mother realised that there was something going on and she Mm. said, Jeanette, is there anything you want to tell me and will it help if I turn out the light? Mm -mm. And so we sat there in the darkness and I told her. And thankfully my parents believed me and they went to the school and told the principal and told the police and all of that. So I felt 
Yes, I felt that I'd been listened to and that was really heard. important yeah. because I yeah. know that some people have been abused, haven't been mm. believed. Yeah. So that was good. But, uh, yeah, then I blocked it out of my mind for quite was a long time. Was the person convicted or punished? No, because they because it had happened so long ago, they decided they would just keep him under surveillance. Mm. Um, so as far as I know, nothing ever happened. But the main thing is your parents... That's heard right. you, yes. took it seriously, yes. and sought appropriate action. Yeah. And I think, um, so another thing that stands out in my memory is one night there was a terrible thunderstorm and I was in my bedroom crying. I thought the end of the world was nigh. Mm. And my mother came in and said, you know, what's the matter? And I said, well, I think it's going to be the end of the world. And she sat down and opened her Bible to Psalm 91 and read it with me and she prayed with me. And I've never forgotten that. So little moments like that are the things that help you to stay strong in faith. Mm -hmm. And I was strong in faith. I went to church, I went to Sunday school, and then we shifted when I was 10 and I was actually very angry because we shifted from Caulfield North to Blackburn, which was a long way away mm. in those days. Mm. We didn't have a car up, up until I was 10. And I actually went from being a good little girl to being the naughtiest girl in the class oh. because I was so angry with my parents for making us shift mm. away from my best friends in particular. And how old were you about at this I time? I was 10 mm -hmm. when that happened. However, we did start going to the Box Hill Reformed Church and that's where I met Roger in okay. my teens. Well, let's switch over to you, Roger. You were born in Sri Lanka? Yep. Tell us about your home life and family life growing up. Okay, one of three children. My father was a lieutenant colonel in the Sri Lankan army, the artillery regiment. Oh. Mum uh, didn't work for money, um, but she had the bulk of the home duties because mm -hmm. dad was often visiting his troops around the island. Mm -hmm. We are part of the Dutch Reformed Church in Sri Lanka. And what is your heritage? Well, ironically, <laughs> Dutch is part of it as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, my mother's side is my mother's mother and mother's father. That's all Dutch way back to Holland. Um, and my father's mother's is German. Mm. Um, and my father's father... Well, that's Portuguese name. Fernando is a Portuguese name. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But but let's just be real about this. You're dark. I am. <laughs> I tan up well. Um, <laughs> you have a very good tan, which you've always had the whole time I've known you. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So Sri Lanka was invaded first by the Portuguese in the 1600s, then by the Dutch in the 1700s. And then by the British in the 1800s. Mm. And no doubt uh, some of those invaders procreated with some of the local women. So you're uh, saying your bloodline is probably mixed with the yeah. local... Geneal genealogically, um, I've got Dutch, German and Portuguese blood. There's no evidence of Sri Lankan blood, but... But I'm looking right at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. So that was your childhood growing up? Correct. How did you do in school? I was terrific. Uh, I was, yeah, in the top three up until about grade four when I started, I, I joined a gang. 
I won't use the name of the gang because it's a bit rude, but um, it was led by a Chinese guy called Chang. And Chang uh, introduced me to smoking, um, to wagging school, and to shoplifting. Oh. And in. A little delinquent. Yes. In, in what yes. year is that? Probably about 10 years old? Uh, yep, 10 to 11. Mm. And then, yeah, around about my around 11 years old, I got caught shoplifting with, with the gang. The rest of them ran off and left me. Mm. And um, my mother got called in, and uh, the bookshop owner said, You pay 25 rupees, or else I'll call the police. Mum paid the 25. Um, but that was a wonderful thing in retrospect because it was like God shaking me up because <laughs> here's the sad news Chang ended up being knifed to death in a Sri oh. Lankan prison as a heroin addict oh wow so that may have yeah. been my future yeah. may have yeah, been yeah yeah but yeah so and, speaking of God and you what yeah. was your spiritual background up to that point oh a Christian family as mm-hmm. I mentioned before um mm-hmm. But I was very, very ashamed of what I'd done mm-hmm. um, and very, very glad that we, you know, my parents said we're going to migrate to Australia because as a group we were being racially and religiously vilified or treated badly in Sri Lanka. Now, wh- why was that? Well, the Sri Lankan government um, is a Buddhist government, mm-hmm. and so basically they made Sinhalese the language that everybody had to speak. Uh, we were English-speaking. We were what we called burghers. Burghers are the descendants of the Dutch. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be really challenging for mm-hmm. us growing up to get work. We were not Buddhists. Mm-hmm. We were not Sinhalese. We didn't speak the language. And so around that time, hundreds and hundreds of Sri Lankan burghers migrated to the UK, to Canada, some to the States, but mm. the three main were UK, Canada, and Australia. And I understand you had some challenges trying to get into Australia? Yeah, so in Australia up until 1972, uh, was the White Australia policy. We applied in 66. What does that mean, White it Australia policy? It means that they wouldn't take anybody of colour. You had to be of European descent. Now, uh, technically, you are white. I mean, yeah. by based so on genealogically, your genealogically. Yeah. So, yeah. so you had to prove that, and you, the only way you could prove it was your genealogy. Unfortunately, my great-grandfather on my father's side, because he was a Roman Catholic, married into the Reformed Church, the Dutch Reformed Church, on his marriage certificate were no more details than his name. So my great-grandfather is where the Fernando line stops. We don't know anything about his ancestors. Oh, okay. Whereas with my father's mother and both my mum's parents, we could trace back to Germany and to Holland. Okay. Genealogically. Okay. And that was all accepted by the Australian government. However, we failed. (laughs) So what did you do? Uh, Well, we appealed. So we're not sure whether we failed because we weren't white enough or whether dad's age, dad was 55. Mm -hmm. So the government wasn't really happy about taking people who would have to be on welfare here or who couldn't support their families. Mm -hmm. So somehow or another, my mother's brother, who'd already been here since 1963, 
and he's about the same colour as me, but mm. genealogically he was fine. Yeah, on paper he was. Yeah, he, uh, he said to the Australian government, we'll look after them. And the deal was that they would have to look after us for a whole year. Mm. The government would not pay anything. So if we got sick, my uncle had to pay. Mm. Accommodation, my uncle had to provide it. Everything. Wow. And that was the deal. And the government agreed to that. And we were passed and we migrated here in January 68. Okay, and when did that white-only policy end in Australia? Australia policy finished up in 1972. So if you had migrated five years later... Yeah. Oh, I mean, look at Australia now. Yeah. There's hundreds of Indians, Sri Lankans, people from all over the place. But that's the way it was back then. That's the way it was back then, yeah. You're listening to The Story... Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Roger and Jeanette Fernando, who are sharing their story as a couple with us. We've been hearing about their lives growing up in very different circumstances. We'll hear more of their stories and how they eventually meet when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guests today are Roger and Jeanette Fernando, who are sharing their story as a couple. Before the break, we heard their individual backgrounds and how Jeanette was born in Melbourne and Roger in Sri Lanka. Now we'll hear what happened next in Roger's life as they continue their chat with Eric Scadabo. Okay, so your whole family goes to Australia, you get a new start. Yep. But... Your dad was kind of high up in the military, as you mentioned. Yeah. But he, now, all of a sudden, that didn't count for anything in Australia. Correct. So correct. what happened? Yeah, so dad dad was a lieutenant colonel of the Royal Ceylon Artillery Regiment. And then, in the last two years of his life in Sri Lanka, he was asked to take over the Signals Regiment. He was a very good leader, very pastoral. And interestingly enough, those leadership traits have been inherited by my brother and myself. Oh. My sister had mm-hmm. died of cancer. Mm. Um, but, yeah, my brother was in a very high leadership position and I've had high leadership positions at school. Mm-hmm. Um, the only work Dad could get here was what Sri Lankans call a peon, P-E-O-N, and that's somebody who carries manila folders from one office to the next. Oh, that's it. That's it. I mean, talk about a come down. Yep, yep. Then what happened? Well, that's all he did for the until he was sixty-five. That was oh, his job in the public retirement. works department. Wow! So yep. starting from very little, yep. your family, but yet you have a PhD. Yes. So because Sri Lankan Dutch burgers, um, like most Asians, I suppose, value academic success. Mm. Now, unfortunately, my sister struggled at school. She failed year 11. So she, she dropped out at the end of her second year 11. My brother failed year 8. <laughs> uh, so he left school after year 11. My brother's very gifted with his hands. He's worked as a curator of cricket pitches. He mm-hmm. worked at Punt Road Oval for many, many years. 
ended up in Parks and Garden. My sister faithfully worked for 25 years in the Australian Tax Department. I, although I don't see myself as super bright, I do work hard. And uh, yeah. you got a PhD, so <laughs> I mean that well, speaks for itself. Yeah, but it's a research PhD, and a PhD is a PhD. <laughs> okay, okay, but I, 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 abs- I just fell in love with organic chemistry mm. in my second. That tells year. me you're pretty smart, just by the fact that you know what that subject is. <laughs> All right, and I, I was very excited, very interested in the structure of drugs. So my PhD was on paracetamol metabolism. And that's another story. But I do want to say, second year university, I attended a lecture on chemistry of the environment. And that triggered in me. By this stage, I had a strong Christian faith. Uh, It triggered in me something that I just don't see in many other Christians, and that is a care for the environment. Mm. And that's going throughout your life. And that's, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, let's get to how did you meet Jeanette? All right, so Jeanette... Should we swing back to well, Jeanette for that part? Or let me or start you with this. Okay, Jeanette, all right. Jeanette noticed me when I first started coming to Box Hill Reformed Church as a 13-year-old and didn't think very much of me because of my behavior. Yeah, it wasn't... Okay, I want to hear Jeanette's side of this. Yeah. <laughs> but then we had um, catechism classes every Tuesday night and we just got talking to each other and Roger shared the things that were on his heart. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way we were actually best friends to start with. Mm-hmm. And even though, so our first dates were, the first one was quite funny because we went, both Barrett for Melbourne, we went to the football and we ended up at opposite sides of the ground and didn't even meet up the next oh, day that's at not church. A <laughs> it was where were you yesterday? Well, I was behind the goalposts. Anyway, we obviously survived that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we used to see each other at church on Sunday, youth group at catechism on Tuesday, youth group on Friday, and Roger was ringing me up every Friday at five o'clock. And then as we got deeper into the relationship, we started writing letters to each other. Mm. And I'm so glad we did because that's a lost art nowadays. Mm, We were able to really work through those issues of adolescence and of faith in our letters together Mm. and in our discussions together. So we were very close. Um, Roger never proposed to me. We just knew that we were going to get married. Really? Yep. You just knew? We just knew. (laughs) And... It was a bit of a battle in the end because we got engaged on my 20th birthday with the plan that we would marry later on in the year. And our parents had said that was okay. And then all of a sudden after the engagement, they said, well, actually, we think you need to wait an extra year. And that just about killed us because Mm. we were trying very hard to be pure Mm -hmm. and to wait another almost two years was really, really difficult and we got to a point where it was almost better not to see each other, hmm. um, better to marry than to burn. Yes, we're familiar uh, with that yeah. verse in the Bible. And then my parents had said, but, you know, if you ever need to talk about it, come and see us again. So by July of that year, we we prayed and prayed and prayed, God, please will you make it so that we can get married this year? And... We asked my parents for an audience. <laughs> so Roger went in to see them. Wanting and then, some grace. 
my parents said, oh, no, Jeanette can come as well. Now, I should say that every time we talked about weddings, my mother said, oh, no, 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 that's for next year. So I couldn't even plan the wedding. So we sat there and Roger said, we're finding it really difficult. We would still really like to get married this year. And my father had just had six weeks in bed rest because he had a a deep vein thrombosis. Mm. And during that time... He and my mother had read through more than 1,500 love letters that they wrote to each other over their eight-year courtship. Oh, wow. And my father leaned back and said, reading through all those letters, we remember what it was like Mm. because we went through it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then my mother said, so the 6th, the 13th or the 20th of December, and she brought out a (laughs) folder of wedding planning stuff that she'd been secretly gathering together. So all of a sudden we had five months to get married. And so we got married when we were both 20 Mm. in December of that year. Roger was second year uni. I was third year teacher's college. And how long have you been married now? Nearly 48 years. Okay. So now you all know that we're 68 (laughs) years old, aren't we? Oh, sorry to give away your ages like that. (laughs) But uh, that's fantastic. Let's go back to Roger here. All the way back to, tell us about when you first met Jeanette and when you knew it was more than just a friendship. Well, I guess I had invited a girl out. I was the Greythorn High School hockey coach and a Scottish girl joined the team straight out of of Scotland Mm. and we became good friends. This is about the middle of year nine and I invited her out to the Melbourne show Dad picked her up. We drove to the show. We had a wonderful date. Uh, There was a bit of hand-holding, but nothing more. (laughs) And at the end of that night, when I dropped her off, um, I said, see you tomorrow. And, yep, that was all good. But the next day, uh, she didn't talk to me. Um, And at the end of the day, I still remember this, I was kneeling at the foot of my locker, Hmm. getting my books and I looked up and there she was and she said I'm sorry Roger three words and those are the last three words she spoke to me right through to the end of year 12 and you can imagine as a a 15 year old boy that was just devastating Hmm. broke your heart and I had no confidence (laughs) I assumed I was going to be single for the rest of my days Oh, wow. So when I met Jeanette at Catechism, um, yeah, as she said, it was a friendship. Mm. Um, took six months before we held hands and 18 months before we kissed because we were, both of us were, wanted to be absolutely sure that we wouldn't have a repeat, mm. you know. Had that, your heart broken all over again. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Jeanette, you shared previously that your abuse from your childhood had an impact on your relationship. Yes. Yeah, so in my teens, um, I used to sleep with scissors next to the bed because I was terrified and I couldn't work out why that was until when I was 17 at Teachers College, I'd worked myself into such a state that I was vomiting in the mornings. I went to see the college doctor and she said to me, did anything happen to you as a child? And it all came back to me. So you hadn't remembered I blocked it out of my memory. Mm. So it all came back to me. Um, So I had said to Roger, 
when we started getting romantic, if you like, I said, look, Roger, for some reason, whenever I've liked a boy and, you know, had a date with him, the minute he wants to hold my hand or anything, I just freeze up and I don't know why that is. And that's when Roger said, I promise you I will not kiss you until we are sure that we both love each other. Mm. And that took 18 months. And now that was probably around the time that I realised that the reason I was freezing up was Mm. because of what had happened to me Mm -hmm. as a child. So I was so honoured that Roger had, um, yes, he'd just been so patient Mm. and... It was very special. Our first kiss was Mm. very special. Mm -hmm. And that whole courtship of talking things out all the time Mm. and writing letters to each other, I think that really helped our faith a lot Mm -hmm. because we were just able to be sounding boards. Um, There were times that I had some doubts. I remember one stage I realised that I was perhaps putting Roger up on a pedestal and worshipping him, if you like. Mm. And I I felt like God was saying to me, you have to give up, Roger, because I need to be one, number one in your life. Mm. And so one day I said that to him. I said, I think I have to give you up because God needs to be number one in my life. Mm. And Roger started crying. And I just, I just knew that God was giving him back to me. Mm. And I put my arms around him. I said, it's okay. And it was almost like I needed to give him up to show God that Mm -hmm. God was first in my life. Mm -hmm. And so our courtship was very much about that triangle, God at the top Mm -hmm. and Roger and Jeanette at each corner. And the closer we got to God, the closer we got to each other. Well, that was part one of Eric Scadabo chatting with Roger and Jeanette Fernando, who are sharing their story as a couple and some of the challenges they've gone through. But as we heard, their strong faith in God helped them to overcome those challenges and also helped them go closer and closer together. We invite you to join us again next time when we'll hear more of their story and how God has used them in a variety of ways, including taking students to the centre of Australia on yearly trips. All that and more is coming up next time. But before we end today, I just want to share a few verses from Psalm 91. Jeanette shared earlier how whenever she was frightened and full of fear, her mother would read it to her to comfort her. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The Lord will cover you with His feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Those are comforting words for all of us when filled with fear and worry. Well, until next time, we'll hear more of Roger and Jeanette's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I remember one fellow at Catechism said to me one day, Why are you going out with him? We don't want to have half-caste children around here. Ho, ho, ho. And that cut really deep. I couldn't even tell Roger that he'd said that for many, many years. But, um, I mean, Roger can tell you his own stories of how he's been racially vilified. But the colour thing was never a problem. 
Roger and Jeanette Fernando join us once again to share more of their story as a couple and how they've overcome their differences, even though Jeanette is into writing poetry while Roger is into science. We'll find out how God is using their different talents next time. The Story. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.